0: everybody welcome this is project herpetoculture podcast and i'm your host roy arthur blodgett joined as always by the inimitable philip Leeds of arids only and we have an excellent show for you today we're excited to dive into it but before we do we've got our standard housekeeping so first i want to give a shout out to dylan and the animals at home network for hosting our show it continues to be a pleasure to be part of this network next i want to give a shout out to charlie for editing our audio and keeping us on the rails over here, making this a listenable experience for everybody. Mm-hmm. Huge shout out to him. We really appreciate him and his help. And next I want to take this opportunity to talk about our sponsors. So first we have custom reptile habitats. They've been with us since day one and they produce premium PVC reptile enclosures. I use them for a lot of the large format vivaria here. They also carry universal rocks, Misking products, and a bunch of other useful stuff. So if you're in the market for any of that and you're planning to make a purchase, consider doing so through the link in our bio or description, and we'll receive a small commission at no additional cost to you. That really helps us keep the lights on over here. Next, we have Fairy Tale
1: Dragons. This is the collaborative effort between Heather Moy and Ron St. Pierre, both of whom need no introduction and have achieved legendary status in herpetical They've accomplished a lot and produce some of the finest bearded dragons and taliqua in the country, as well as a whole host of other species, including some very interesting emerald tree boa and green tree python projects. Check them out if you're in the market for any of that cool stuff, and be sure to follow along with them on
0: social media. They're always something interesting, and you can learn a lot by paying attention. Next, we have Cold-Blooded Caffeine, and they're roasters of delicious coffees from all over the globe. We have a private label with them, the PH Blend, which is a light roast coffee from Rwanda. It's a great choice for those who prefer more floral coffee with notes of berry and fruit, but they have a wide variety of options for a broad array of preferences. So check them out, and if you place an order, don't forget to use the code Herb for 10% off.
1: We are also very pleased to have the support of ExoTerra, a brand that needs no introduction. It's safe to say that herbiculture would not be where it is today without the influence of ExoTerra. For decades, they have been industry leaders in innovation, offering just about everything needed for reptile care, from diets and supplements, enclosures, lighting, and substrates. We are both big fans of their naturalistic terraria and substrates in particular. And they have a lot of interesting projects and works as we speak and we're really looking forward to seeing what comes next
0: and last but not least we have tamura designs for those in the know tamura designs is widely regarded as one of the finest enclosure manufacturers on the planet they produce outstanding large format bavaria with endless options for customization drains uv printed backgrounds lighting rigs and on top of all of that they also make amazing deli cup displays and they make these incredible multi-unit condos, which I use a lot here. So if you're interested in any of that and you decide to make a purchase, use the code Herpeticulture for 15% off one item. That's a special offer for our listeners. We're really thankful to all our sponsors for signing on to support the show.
1: And finally, if you're interested in supporting the show directly, something of a tip or a monthly donation, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash projectherpetoculture. We have a monthly live chat that we host for all of our subscribers that have, has been a great deal of fun so far. We also have a cool line of merchandise, t-shirts, mugs, pint glasses, and more can be found on our website. And, of course, sharing this show with a friend, subscribing on YouTube, and keeping up with on
0: social media is always and with all that said, we're on to the show.
1: All right, sweet. So I am going to do a little introduction just so that we ha- we have it on the recording, just in case. So our guest today, John Scarborough of Gecko Boa Reptiles. John, thank you so much for joining us today. You're the man. We really appreciate it. How you doing today?
2: Doing good, man. Appreciate you uh, bringing me on. It's been uh, it's been a while, so I'm glad to glad to talk to you again. It's a uh, you know, friendly face. Yeah, we used to have some good times out there herping in Colorado. So,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. dude, it's a good time. Yeah. So, just uh, for folks who are listening who might not know, back when John lived here in Colorado, he and I kind of connected because I got a handful of geckos from him. And it was actually kind of a cool story. We start, you know, we, I'm 99% sure we met at a gas station to do the handoff. Mm-hmm. And you and I and I was asking you some questions. I was like asking you about like you know doing this for a living and 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 you know whatnot. And and you were like, okay, it's obvious you're not a crazy person. You can come visit. Yeah,
2: (laughs) yeah, I had a few of those back in the day. So,
1: (laughs) oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. You said I think your specific words were I had to make sure you weren't going to just randomly knock on my door asking for Dubia. You know.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So I, yeah. I had that experience in California one time and I just, uh, no, never again, oh, God. <laughs> me and my wife have yeah. a rule, no people at the house, you know, unless I like really know them. So. Yeah. 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 So
1: we kind of connected and you let me come over. You let me check out your space and see what you were up to. And then that kind of led to me helping you move. And then you hooking me up in exchange for that with, some really, really rad geckos, as well as um, some incubators, a light, which I still use, by the way. I still have both those incubators cooking right along right now. Um, a, a light box and a famous, the world famous Gecko Boa Rock, where you were taking a bunch of your photos on and stuff.
2: You like so, <laughs> know that, man?
1: That's yeah, cool. yeah. You remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah was,
2: I have a I have a few of those rocks. I have one sitting outside right now. It's like a kind of a decorative rock outside my house right now too, but yeah, <laughs> I've I've gone through a few over the years. That's cool. You have yeah, that though.
1: Yeah, dude, I do. It's it's really good. That's it's awesome. It's gone through some iterations like some where it's been used in photos and then some where it's acts as a like a basking rock in a cage or two because it's just a great <laughs> it's just a nice rock for that. And the Never let
2: that rock go, man.
1: No, never, never. I'll pay for you to <laughs> ship
2: it to me someday.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll send it back. If I'm ever like, dude, I'm, you know,
2: I'm, I've really had it with the gecko boa rock. I'll just admit <laughs> <make> it. <laughs> You're, I'm ever, ever out, out of reptiles or done with it. You send me that rock. I don't want all your reptiles. I just send the rock.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you the rock. And uh, one of the things, one of the reasons I like to point this, all this like a little bit of history out is because, um, you, you were someone who I point to often as like someone who was like really genuinely kind to me kind of, you know, when I was still, you know, kind of trying to get my feet wet, you know, I'd produced a bunch of euros and I was doing okay, you know, managed to sell a few things and things went well, but like, you know, you really were not only courteous with your time, you know, and, you know, helping me and talking with me about stuff, showing me how you do things, but also just like really courteous and generous with giving advice, you know, I'd have questions and you'd be like, oh, you could think of it this way and, or you can do it that way. And also you, you know, you found this cool little niche for yourself. So that's really nice. And, but also you could also, you can always branch out and do other things. And the fact that you just gave me a lot of that stuff, like the incubators and whatnot, I mean, that was just a level of kindness that I, I, you know, haven't experienced with a whole lot of people and especially not a whole lot of people in herpetoculture. So thank you for all of that, man. That was really super kind of you. And, doesn't happen that much. And I know sometimes it can be a little weird to get a bunch of compliments on the air, but here we are. So just going to go. I
2: appreciate appreciate it, man. Yeah. You were one of the reasons I didn't even want to leave Colorado, but you know, like honestly you were, you were a super cool dude and I appreciate everything, all the help with moving and stuff. And (laughs) even though you couldn't lift my racks,
1: was, dude, I couldn't, okay. dude. Yeah, Those were, those, those, those very heavy racks, bro. It was, yeah, a,
2: they were, was they a real were challenge.
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember. That was, a, that was, a, it was an early time. Um, so the way I'd love to kind of kick off some of this conversation is um, with a super basic question, um, which I'm sure you've answered, you know, more than once, but how did herpetoculture start for you? What's your like herpetocultural origin story, you know, whether that, and you can take that, you know, usually I'm thinking like. Was there a big moment for you where it was like, whoa, I want to do this? Or was it gradual, you know, like, was it something that started as a kid and then built later? Um, I'd love to know. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think it's the uh, same as most of us where we're it's just innate in us and we, we start from a young age. And I was just obsessed with lizards and everything around my house. I grew up in Southern California. So right. um, in the city there, you actually only have really a few lizards that are that are common. So I was always catching lizards and trying to, you know, keep them inside. Um, I I was pretty obsessed with it. I would, you know, keep them inside as much as I could. I had a little fish aquarium that I would try to keep them in. My mom would always make me um, take them out after a couple of days. But yeah, that was always the case with with that. And I, I was, um, you know, I was, I was into pets in general. I had dogs, I had birds, um i had a hamster some mice all kinds of stuff back then and um so the reptiles were always kind of a more of an interesting thing i don't know if it was just the fact that like reptiles are a little unusual or whatever it was um or my parents were pretty against reptiles Um, in general, especially snakes. So I came up with a pretty religious background and so they always thought of a snake as some evil creature and like, Mm. they just didn't want a snake in the house. And so I'd go down to the pet shop and I actually had a pretty cool pet shop near me. It was called Town and Country Pet Shop. And some of the people in this community would know that, that, um, Kyle Frost was actually an employee there at one point. Um, but I would go down there all the time. And, you know, I was always begging my parents for for different snakes and lizards and everything I could. And, you know, I finally got them to give me a green anole and it kind of worked from there. And it worked up to a water snake and then um, a couple of corn snakes. Yeah. Um, and I was into other pets at that time. I was into fish and different things. And I actually, I think the big uh, thing that kind of started all this was, um, I I got into koi breeding actually first. Oh, cool. (laughs) My dad had a pond in the backyard. He built kind of just a landscape feature. And, you know, I kind of expanded from that and like created another pond on top of it. And then I built three more ponds in our backyard and I just, I dug one out of the ground and put a rubber liner on it. And then another one I did out of a above ground pool and built my own filtration system and, Like, I was doing all this at, like, 12, 13 years old. So I was really kind of obsessed with, you know, that aspect of it. And I thought koi were pretty cool. And um, later on, that fizzled out. I had a bad incident where the the city, um, like, chlorinated the water after a big rainstorm. And so, like, Uh. it kind of, you know, it, it killed off a few of my fish. And, like, I just, the information that wasn't out there at that time, like, how to do this right right and so um that kind of ended that journey for me and then i went into high school and i slowly got out of pets in general and Mm -hmm. reptiles included and i was more into music sports um and skateboarding snowboarding that kind of stuff during high school college um just didn't see like that as a career but it was something, anything serious. So I just never was really into it at that time. I didn't have the time either. So um, Mm I wasn't really involved with, uh, the reptile community or anything like that at that time. Um, then I went to work corporate and even as bad as that was, um, I kept, you know, I had a friend that, um, had a boa constrictor and he, um, offered it up to me for free because he didn't want to take care of it anymore. And I would say that was more the, like your, your question say like the more pivotal point in my life. Cause I didn't know really what I wanted to do at that point. Like the job I was at was like kind of a dead end job. And it was like just trying to work for a paycheck and not happy with anything that I was doing. So I did that. I wasn't thinking that that was going to be a career or anything, but I got that snake and that's right when the internet started like kind of kicking off and um, I got online immediately and um, there was Teen snake and fauna back then. And um, so I, I started looking through that and I mean, it kind of snowballed after that and went from buying another snake to just, oh, is just going to breed these two together? And that's kind of like how everybody goes. And all yeah. of a sudden you got, you know, 30 snakes in your, <laughs> in your yeah. basement and, you know, you're you're buying big orders of uh, rats and mice online. And yeah, it it excelled from there. But a familiar um, trajectory for all of us. Yeah. So it was both constrictors at the beginning. And I really, maybe it was kind of a little FU to my parents in a way, because like they would never let me have a, I wanted a ball python forever. They never let me have one. And I actually convinced one of my friend's parents buy a ball python for them so i could like you know have kind of like through him i was hanging out with my friend all the time so i was like uh he he would have the ball python at his house and so you know it would be that that case and um so i i got the book instructors and i was doing that for a while um around 2009 my girlfriend now wife um and we went to um a show in california the reptile shoot super show in pomona yeah, we and I've been to a few shows at this point. But she was, uh, her cousin had leopard geckos, mm-hmm. and she's like, "You're trying to breed all of these snakes and do all of this," and uh, she's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep a couple leopard geckos and do that, like, kind of it was like a little side project." And I was like, "All right, cool." So we went around that show and uh, we looked at all the leopard geckos, and we ended up settling like at I don't know if you know JMG Jeff Galewood oh, yeah. So it was the first time I actually met him and I didn't know who he was at that time, but you know, he's a big name in the leopard geckos at that time. So I ended up getting a, a pair of leopard geckos from him there. And, um, I actually have the, the original mail still. He's like right next to me here, in my office with me here. So yeah, I still have yeah. him here, but
0: yeah, first, That's awesome. first
2: pair of leopard geckos here. Um, and then, um, when we got home, my wife purchased some more online. And it was kind of like um, she started pairing them together and it was like super simple. And she started producing eggs and babies right away. And like, I think at this point, like I started in like 2005 and up until like 2009, I'd only produced like two litters of boas. Yeah. So it was like instant gratification with the leopard geckos. So for me, it kind of just set that spark off. And I wasn't giving up on the boas because I had really cool stuff back then. I had some... Some of the nicest Peruvian boas you've ever seen, like those, those boas would go from multi thousands of dollars right now, you know, just really nice stuff from Rio Bravo and some, some really cool animals, but, um, I don't know. The leopard is just like kind of set it off, you know, and it was, it was, it was fairly easy. The community was a little more accepting. There wasn't like the big names yet really in it um most people you could just back like back then it was gecko forums that we all posted on and so we'd post on gecko forums and then like you know you would you sell if you had something nice you'd sell it you know it wasn't like now you had had to have the name you know to go along with it Mm -hmm. so if you had something nice you sold it and so kind of right away i was i was selling geckos like right away and um then at that point i was kind of at a crossroads with my my job in the corporate world and i hated it there it was all absolutely awful and i was working 70 hours a week roughly and Ugh. you know it was no God. lunch breaks it was tough work and not that great of pay and yeah. i i had always heard from different leopard gecko breeders and different reptile breeders oh it's it's too tough to make it in this it's really difficult and like i just kind of always kept that as a roadblock against getting into it mm-hmm. and Um, when, when I decided I was done with the, the corporate job, I basically cash out my 401k. I roughly, I took the 10% penalty and Mm -hmm. roughly had a, you know, 20 grand or so in in that. And I just got out of it. I didn't think I was going to go into leopard geckos. I just kind of thought I just got to get out of here and do something else. and I'll figure it out. But, you know, when I left there. I just, I was buying a few more geckos and I was just doing the math and I'm like, I'm selling these pretty easily. Um, you know, it's not that hard. I'm making okay money. I can survive on this almost. And, you know, I, I just, I figured like I came from a business background I majored in business and I was like, this has got to work. You know, there's no way this doesn't work and I'm passionate about it like to the max. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. um, at that point, um, my wife got accepted to, um, school in, in Colorado. And so we decided to pack it all up and move. And we had a kid on the way and we got married and, uh, you know, that's kind of where, you know, that's where it really accelerated. And I had to make it work to, to survive. And, you know, I was supporting my wife and my kid through college. And I, I think that's where a lot of people like that are trying to do this from a business perspective, they're they they lose it. It's because they don't do it to survive. They're doing it as a side and it's kind of a little thing on you know, they're doing their main job and working their hours and then they try to come home and do um the reptiles and it's just kind of a side thing forever. And they get burned right. out on it. It's not as successful, mm. you know. And so right. I I had to make it work. And so I went from you know, 2009, buying my first leopard geckos to 2013, being leopard gecko or gecko breeder of the year on like, you know, the, yeah. wow. uh, the reptiles thing or whatever it was at that time. Yeah. So I accelerated really fast. I put everything I had into it. I wasn't, you know, I would, literally didn't buy any clothes for myself. I, I was just wearing the same stuff. Kind of became a bum at that point, but I put everything I had into it. And paid off it grew organically i built my own website i didn't pay anybody outside for that i you know i worked my way up from there and you know you kind of know most of the story phil but i moved from the move you helped me with was from that place to my own house and to another city in colorado and um then from colorado here to idaho and you know i've worked with it was mostly leopard geckos that were successful. I I dropped the boas, like uh, I started tapering them off after I moved, but I think I sold my last one in like 2013 or 14. Um, it just wasn't successful for me. I was just in not enough space for everything that I wanted to do. And I moved on too. I, I worked with Aki monitors, um yellows and reds, I worked with uh Many different obscure species of geckos during that time, um, probably around the t- 2016, 17, 18, I was one of the biggest breeders of goniosaurus in the world. Um, I did that for a while, um, but but now I'm mostly specialized in uh, leopard geckos and the morphs. And then also the subspecies and species of leopard geckos are eublepharous. So... Uh, Angamonu, Fuscus, Hardwicky, Sapirensis. I don't work with Sapirensis, but that's one of the species. Um, And then Macularis is the leopard gecko species. So, man,
1: basically
0: what happened. Amazing.
1: Yeah, that's a wild ride. It's so, that's so interesting because so cool. I feel like there are ways, there are some, some things that are sort of like relatable. Well, actually, all of what you said is plenty relatable, but like, sort of like the organic build to what you're describing seems, somewhat unique. I mean, I know other folks have mentioned, you know, their business building out in, in, a, in an organic way, but like, it's, it's at least in my mind, it's not what I would have expected in the leopard gecko world, you know, because it, you know, it's like, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people who breed leopard geckos, you know? And so, and, and you, you, have always in from my perspective sort of stood apart in more ways than one part of it is your dedication to some of the pure species some of it is is the uh sort of like the level of meticulous quality control that i've seen firsthand i mean i remember you telling me you know stories about the difficulty of creating het free normal leopard geckos you know what Mm -hmm. i mean people don't even understand how difficult it is to do that right and, and so that plus like, you know, the courage to like, leave your job and just be like, ah, I'm just going to see if it works, especially when you're supporting your, your wife and you have a kid on the way. And like, I can relate to that a little bit. I'm supporting my wife and, and we have, we're expecting a son in, in July of, of this year. And so oh, congrats, man. Oh, thanks dude. And yeah. it's just, holy shit. Like I, I, <laughs> I can barely imagine, you know, cause it's, it's, uh, Um, yeah, so, so it's intriguing. So like, how do you, how do you think about, I mean, maybe this is like a multifaceted question, right? Like what's, what do you think set you apart from the other people who are keeping and breeding leopard geckos and what continues to set you apart, right? Because I would imagine that if there's someone out there who would like to, you know, maybe they're super passionate about leopard geckos, maybe they want to get into it too, and it almost sounded a little bit like some of the people who told you, oh, no, it's really hard to get into this. There's. It almost sounded a little bit like gatekeeping in a way, like I'm just going to I'm going to tell you that it's really difficult. So that way you don't take any of the, the of my pie. And maybe that's not maybe that's not a fair interpretation. But I'm just sort of curious how you think about some of that. Like, how do you think about um how you how one can be successful in what would appear to be a very very well served market
2: yeah um I think I think so like with the gatekeeping kind of thing, I think those people were probably being honest because I don't think they were super successful in in what they were doing but at the same time, like I kind of took a philosophy of like, I knew that people were telling me that and like it kept me out of it and I think it's kind of maybe a good thing for some of us because like for instance I'm kind of obsessed with animals and maybe I would have got into it too quick and some people would as well Mm -hmm. Um, but I feel like it definitely is Like I see the 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 new people coming in. One reason I encourage you, and like I encourage a lot of, actually, besides you, I encourage a lot of leopard gecko people to get into it, is because it really is possible if you put the hard work in. And a lot of people want to put a a lot of hard work into something. They want to be passionate about something and do, you know, their best on something. And like it's not like going down to your local corporate job or whatever, and you're just clocking in and stuff. It's like. You know, when you have your own thing and you're making your own money and you're doing your own thing, like and you're passionate about it and you love the animals, like it makes complete sense to like put everything you have into it. And that's why you see me walking out in Crocs and two feet of snow, like out to my my gecko facility, taking pictures for somebody or looking in see if the you know something is what it is, and like you know, or even just being out there alone and listening to a podcast and enjoying it, and like. You know, that's like just what makes it for me. So I think, I think for the right person, it, it is something that's, it it can work out very well. And like, you know, some, a lot of people are trying to do the other job or whatever, or trying to just like do it from a money standpoint only, maybe it's not going to be successful in that case. And probably not. But if you're super passionate about it and like, I've encouraged other leopard gecko people, it only helps me is what I've kind of thought too, is like. You know, everybody wants to keep everybody out, but it's like, this is a small community. And there's yeah. mm-hmm. so many, so many people besides us that are wanting, like, once people see that, like, this is something there, like, they want to get into leopard geckos too. And, like, it only builds, like, almost all of my sales that are big dollar sales are to other big breeders. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, my, my largest sales of the year are to, like, lar- you know, the biggest breeders in the U.S. that are you know, really pushing on morph market way more than I am or on, you know, other platforms. And it's like, I don't really want to do morph market to that extent. Like, that's never been my thing. Um, and, you know, that's fine. They can have that that side of it. And when you realize also, like, with leopard geckos, for instance, like, the big breeders, the, the massive breeders, they're not like the high quality guys, the, the the guys that are really pushing out the numbers. They're producing, like, you know, a couple of them were, were producing, you know, 250,000 a year. Uh, a smaller wow. a smaller one was producing 100,000. Another one I don't know, but I'm sure it's close to 100,000. Um, I mean, Jeez. these are massive numbers. And, like, That's, I'm talking yeah. about, I'm less than 1,000 almost every year. And it's yeah. very rare that I've ever gone over that. And so, for me, like, there is a massive market out there for that. And yeah. people that want quality and you know even my pet geckos that's how i market it is that i'm you know my entire facility has been tested disease tested you know i spent twenty thousand dollars testing for crypto for instance um making sure my collection is perfectly clean where you know your average chains pet store it's a good percentage they're having problems with that yeah um yeah and, you know, so i i try to market myself as being healthier animals, so I sell pet geckos or which, which are like genetic testing stuff, they're a higher price than what you're gonna find at the local store, plus you gotta pay for shipping. Yep. Um, but there's a lot of people that want to pay an extra hundred bucks to have a quality animal. Yeah. And that way I also know that my animal's being taken care of because yeah, you know, if somebody's paying $15 on a Pet Mart special or uh, you know, a chain store pet uh special or whatever, you know. They don't know that that gecko got shipped in a like a bag full of newspaper with hun- like, you know, 30 other geckos in that same bag across the country. Yeah, it probably has a disease or if it didn't have a disease before, it probably does now after it got, you know, placed in that bag and then put into, uh, you know, a, a trim set up with sand and multiple geckos in it. And stress out of its mind, you know, it doesn't even eat the crickets that are crawling all over it and chewing on its leg, you know, or tail. Mm-hmm. And so like a lot of people are starting to realize that, you know, it's worth the quality. They're paying big money for the enclosure setups, um, terrariums and you know, all the different, you know, acrylic setups and um yeah. setups that they got now. And like if you're gonna spend four or five hundred bucks on that, spend 75 bucks on your your gecko at least, you know. Yeah. So yeah I I the uh, big tangent, but yeah, I I do think I think that's kind of sets me apart from all these these other people that are, you know, either going too big, yeah. too many employees. and like I always wanted to be like I either wanted to have one employee or or none, and that was always my goal. Like once you get too many hands involved, things start getting confused, genetics get mixed up. Quality right. goes down and you start getting less involved. You mm-hmm. don't know what's actually going on when you don't see those every day. Like right. my number one way of seeing what's going on with my, my geckos is every time I feed them. You know, when yeah, I yeah. Go in feed them, mm-hmm. I sit there and I'm like, I see something cool. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I got the next minute or two to think about it because I, you know, I'm cleaning the next one or whatever. And so yeah. I'm always mm-hmm. always thinking about that stuff. So um,
1: you, you said that to me years ago, like back when you were here and we were hanging out and talking, you were like, man, like you, you know, staying in touch with what you're doing and being involved Mm -hmm. with you, like people get really big and they, they hire people and they get help. And you, that's like right when you lose contact with what you're doing and your animals. And that, that's stuck with me for a while now. I mean, I do have a, a kid who helps me out at the shop with some regularity, but you know, for better, no,
2: but but that's okay. Your your setup's a little different than like you know the leopard gecko mm-hmm. type setup. Yeah. You know, you got yeah. bigger. You you are very involved with each enclosure and each yep. you know animal still. You yeah, know. and
1: he's you know he's mostly just clean and poop anyway. I'm, I'm just and you don't know.
2: got like thirty different genetics going on with each gecko right. that you're dealing with or each animal you're dealing with. You know? Right. So mm-hmm. your mastics are you're are a little more in them right at this point.
1: Uh... Well, there kind of are now. Yeah, <laughs> okay. so, There
0: are a couple now.
1: A couple. Yeah. So, so basically there, there were none. Um, there was one hypo ornate uromastyx. I mean, it actually still is, there is a hypo ornate uromastyx, um, that Scott Wilson, um, out in California has kind of, um, uh, pioneered and that's a cool looking animal. And then there's uh my friend Josh Marquis, he he produced a, a an albino or a, he proved out the albino Euromastix j um yeah. which is really wild. And I've got one of those. And then um awesome. I've got uh there's like a couple other stuff going on in the works, you know, behind 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 closed doors and whatnot, but that's another day.
2: Um I got a few of those too, so it's all right. Yeah, I bet you do. Yeah, yeah, for
1: sure. Uh yeah, I was, I was going to say probably, probably more than more, a little more than I've got in terms of <laughs> on your end. So, uh, you, you had mentioned before we started recording, um, the challenges of, uh, moving from Colorado to Idaho and sort of when you got there having to like build out that facility and, uh, cause you have an outbuilding on your, on your property, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that and sort of w- what all went into that?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, the move itself, we could talk about that too, as well. So that, that, you know, a lot of people have to move with reptiles and that's always a difficult, you know, conversation or difficult thing to deal with for people, um, how to do it. And, you know, sometimes the timing of the year doesn't work out perfectly. So you have to do it, you know, for me, we were moving in somewhat winters, early spring, but uh, the temperatures were not great um so for me i was i don't know if you're you were you i don't think you were involved in the second move so the no just big, the first yeah, one yeah the first He's one so Colorado. yeah that was that was one u-haul back and forth a bunch of times this one i had to do in one shot so i did a bunch of those pods and i did the stuff that i didn't need to see for a week or two so most of the household stuff and all that um and then i did a u-haul of uh, the biggest u-haul that you, i think it's like a 24 foot trailer But I did all my racks, literally the whole U-Haul was just full of the racks set up or stacked on top of each other. I just paid movers because I didn't want to deal with it. And um, at the very end, I had, I just boxed up all my geckos, kind of like you would ship them. I I, I stacked them into deli cups that were a little bigger. I bought them on like U-Line. I knew they weren't going to get bounced around, so I didn't need them to be super tight on the geckos. Mm -hmm. So I put them into deli cups and stuff in there um in boxes that are insulated and i set up one of those um uh greenhouse tents that you can buy on amazon so like you you can buy like a little like cheap like greenhouse Mm -hmm. tent. a lot of people set them up in their basements and stuff and yeah whatever but you can you know those little ones that are little pole assembly kind of like a tent almost yeah um i set up that and i put all the boxes in there I boxed all my Dubia roaches in there as well, because I had a lot of Dubia roaches at that time as well. Um, and I figured, too, I was like, eh, I'll keep them in there, too, because they gen- actually generate heat. So, like, yeah. they might actually be a benefit to the situation. So yeah. um, I put all the Dubia roaches in there. I got one of those little sensor sensor push uh, Wi-Fi monitors um, that also works on Bluetooth. And so I could measure the temperature in that tent the whole time I was driving and so I could sit at the front on my phone and always check the temperature in the back over there yeah and so I had uh, and I got two of those those oil heaters that you use like a lot of people will use them for kerosene you know, stuff. Like a kerosene heater well they're oil heaters so they they basically heat up those coils um oh
1: yeah a radiator
2: oil and so what happens is those hold heat for a long period of time and so before I left, I turned it on and got it pretty hot. Not, not fully hot, because I didn't think the temperatures required it. So I put two of those in there and let that just sit in there because I kept the temperature up. And if it would have got too hot, I would have been able to check it on my little Bluetooth monitor and taken it out. I could have stopped and just taken it out if I needed to. And then um, when I stopped, I, I did actually get a hotel the first night and I brought all my geckos in for the hotel room and then I I charged up the oil heaters again, and yeah. So I kept in that little greenhouse stand, a little microclimate kind of in the back of the in the back of the U-Haul, and I had it monitored on the front, and I was keeping track on it. And you know, crazy story is I had a blizzard on the way, and Ugh. on you know I was driving like between Utah and and Idaho, and there's some hills there. It's not like full on mountains or anything, but there's definitely some hilly terrain, and um there was cars going off the side of the road. I saw a oh. car like slam into the side. And so I'm going super slow and like, just, just, you know, snow's coming down and I'm freaking out and yeah. I'm watching the temperature on my Bluetooth monitor kind of dropping and dropping and dropping oh. and got all the way down to 54 degrees at that point. So, um, it was cold but you know i'm sure you know i obviously it wouldn't be it would be fine you know yeah. geckos mm-hmm. leopard geckos come from pakistan where it gets much colder so yeah um, mm-hmm. they were all fine i actually had some you know side story i had a little i had a a little i had two eggs at that time and that was it no other eggs and i was like there's no way these things are surviving and i'm like i'm gonna throw them out and my wife's like oh, i'll just put them in a cup and see what happens and I actually hatched out those eggs <laughs> later on. Nice. It got down to 54 degrees. All those people think that temperature fluctuations ruin everything. That's kind of yeah. That's
1: crazy.
2: Yeah. So that's awesome. That was inside inside that tent. So it definitely got down that cold. Um but yeah, I ended up getting it was kind of the edge of the storm. And so I kind of got through it and then got to flat ground. And you know, we ended up making it here. Um this location did not have a uh, any place i could put the geckos like any good place so i basically had to insulate my garage out um put um ventilation through the, the windows in the garage and kind of set up my facility that way which was absolutely awful you know wow. a, a basement is much better than a garage and which is what i always had had before you know a basement you can kind of filter the air I, i'm a big um and of using fresh air in your your facility, no matter what. And so with a basement, it makes it kind of easy. You can just put a window fan in the basement, like um, yes. window or whatever, and pull air out or whatever it is. Just keep a constant flow coming out. And that also keeps the the smells out of your house too. Yeah. So I always kept that going in the basement, like the place you saw in Colorado. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I got here, it was pretty difficult because in you know, non-heated garage. I had to use the racks to heat it. Plus, um, you know, I had oil heaters and I had, you know, backup heaters. The racks did most of the heating by themselves, but a lot of energy use from that. Um, tried to insulate the doors as best I could. Um, wasn't an ideal situation, but, you know, had to work up to building what I wanted exactly. And so I ended up building... My facility from the ground up and i really try to think it through and you know think everything that i wanted in my ge- gecko um, facility or shop is what i call it um yeah. and so i did a lot of the work myself maybe at least 50 percent of the work myself i didn't do like the concrete i didn't do um the footings and stuff like that stuff i couldn't do some electrical yeah. work i didn't do i did a lot oh. of it though um but yeah, so there's a there's a lot we can go all into that as well if you want, but um, yeah, when I'm definitely you know, really curious to hear about that. Yeah, yeah, really curious. So, um, with the uh, the floor, the concrete floor that's in the shop, I built it up from uh, you know I I put in what's called radiant heat for people that don't know hydronic heat, which is basically using water in like a coolant type uh, mixture. Um, that pumps through a boiler and you run tubes through your concrete and these tubes have a hot zone and a cold zone and so you you run these through your concrete and it basically heats the concrete floor up big problem i've always had um, especially when i was in the garage was the floor the concrete floor being ice cold so my be- bottom rack yeah always a problem and so i was like I really want this radiant floor. heat. everybody talks about it being just wonderful. You touch on, you just walk on the concrete floor and it's nice and warm. Um, a lot of houses do it as well, just so they have nice yeah. warm, you know, floors if they have a concrete type floor. Um, so I did that, did it all myself. I had to research that out. I built a panel, all, all that stuff. Um, you know, which was kind of a major undertaking. Um, yeah. but i happy that I did it now. Um, the uh, I put in mini splits in my my shop or in my my gecko facility area. I built a separate um, area for the feeders. Um, so I, I feed ma- mostly mealworms, but I have to keep dubia roaches for my anger and some, a few other things. Um, so I breed dubia as well. Um, so I have a separate room from that for that, just because I wanted to keep the the dust and everything. Um, yeah. you know, separated from the rest of the room. Because I in my garage mm-hmm. and other places, it was just like that mealworm dust. You know, if you know anything about leopard geckos and breeders in the past, a big thing that's taken out a lot of breeders is the um, mealworm allergies. And I think a big part mm-hmm. of it... Yeah, yeah. I have, I have So the the mealworm allergies has taken out quite a few. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the big kind of podcast that I used to go on was uh David Fine Gecko's, uh yeah. podcast. Um strengthen or not strengthen Leo's it was uh there was late night Leo's and there was gecko nation radio so he yeah. did the gecko nation radio mostly um but that took him out you know um Matt from Sassabek has a big meal problems yeah um I think Paul Allen did as well there's the guy that did Basically, where all the Mandarin stuff came from, the gecko genetic stuff, I I, I believe he had mealworm issues and taking taken at least 50% of the breeders out there. So since I was not hiring employees and I was doing it all myself, I really wanted to isolate that and I keep a wall fan always pumping out of that room at all times. So it's always negative pressure in that room um so no matter what like that air is not coming back in my gecko room it's always pumping out at all times yeah. and so none of that air is getting in for the most part um i also have a shop fan in there that pumps out so whenever i'm actually sorting mealworms i actually have an electric sorter um they use for gold mining um, oh, yeah, oh way. Oh <laughs> no I,
0: I've, I've totally thought about these and those before <laughs> <laughs> They actually, you've already done big.
2: it. If you cut off the plastic little things that kind of keep it held together, they work really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so wow. they're made for gold prospecting, but if you they have one that's made, it's uh, shoot, I can't even remember the company, but if you look up like electric uh bucket uh gold uh, prospecting sorters or something like that, I'm sure it'll come up. It's like Gold Rush or something like that.
1: That's awesome. Um,
2: yeah. So I use that for all my sorting and mealworms. I couldn't live without it, to be honest, at this point, it's quick and it's fast. And I sort all my mealworms really fast. And, you know, I can, I can throw them in some gut load and some meal, uh, some carrots and stuff and then throw them on that. And they're sorted in a minute, you know? Yeah. And so wow. it, it basically just use those, those green, um, bucket sieves that we all see, you know, from yeah. prospecting. Yeah. if you ever look those up so you can hook any one of those up. Um, so I use that. And I use baker, Baker's racks with the uh, you know the big Baker's tubs for my mealworms and yeah. Um, so I have all that all that set up in that extra room, and it keeps it all separated from the rest of my my gecko um, my gecko room and on top of the gecko room I, or on top of that feeder room, I keep all my extra supplies and stuff. Um, what else? I I think again to the the point of uh, air quality. I put up. A lot of the stuff you want to look up with, like, air quality has to do or will um, cross over with, like, woodworkings. Um, So if you're doing, Mm -hmm. you know, woodworking, you don't want that dust. And, you like, a lot of problems happen from wood dust and sawdust for people Mm -hmm. in woodworking. So a lot of stuff you want to work with, like, to keep the dust down. Like, so for mealworms, you have the mealworm dust. Or for geckos, you have the mealworm dust. And you have the... Um, dust from the calcium powder, yeah, um, which are the main two problems. Plus you can get some dry, like poop in the air and other things that are nasty stuff you don't want in the air. And if you're working with this all the time, you don't want it fat in your lungs. Right. Oh, so I have a fan that's made for woodworking that filters the air that comes right off of my, where my workstation is. And so it's constantly pulling that air away from me. Not only that, but it's also filtering it as it goes away. It's very quiet. It's made for woodworkers that um, that, you know, they don't want to have a lot of noise while they're doing something. They just want to keep it kind of quiet. Mm -hmm. So it's like I think it's called Powermatic, but it's like a five hundred dollar fan that you just keep that air. But it's it's absolutely awesome for keeping that dust away from your face. Um, I have a couple big jet fans in the air that that filter the air as well and you can put any type of filter you want on them but they you know they're not HEPA filters but you don't necessarily need that this type of situation you just want to keep like the bigger particles out of the air and that gets most of them and then the main key is that I use um, an HRV system and so it's called a heat recovery ventilation system Um, and they have ERVs as well so if you're in a humid climate you'd want to use an ERV but Basically what this does, rather than putting a fan or something or like a vent fan or something in your 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 house or your shop or whatever, that just pulls air out and you lose all that heat that you paid for. Like if you have a mini split or something and you're in cold weather or hot weather, you're paying for that, that, that temperature in there. But with animals, yeah. you want to keep that ventilation to the max. You want to keep that air flowing and mm-hmm. fresh air all the time. Yeah. And so with the HRV system, what it does, it basically has this box that creates like this honeycomb structure um, that crosses the air as it, the intake air and the outtake air are crossed as they're going through, and what it does is it it transfers that heat from the the air coming in from the air going out, and it. it um makes that that temperature of that air coming in a lot warmer and it takes the air the the heat from the air going out and transfers it to that air coming in and so it does exactly what it says it's heat recovery ventilation so it's is recovering the heat wow. the one that I have the structure uses this like kind of advanced system and it recovers about 80% of the the heat that I'm losing. So I have that That's thing amazing. on amazing full blast most of the time just to keep the air fresh in that in my shop. And it's always, you know, I'm losing 20% of the heat, but it's a lot better than losing hundred percent. Oh you know, yeah. In that situation. So in using a mini split, I installed the mini splits myself. You can use like the the Mr. Cool like do it yourself units, which mm-hmm. are like one tenth of the cost of if you hire somebody to come out and put a mini split in. Um, and they're pretty easy to put in um Mm -hmm. and if they go out just buy a brand new one and you can buy 10 of them before you know you actually have to replace one of the other ones so um using those if you're ever it's the same idea as a heat pump with any other system of air conditioning or heating um you you capture a lot of that heat you're not actually if you just put a heater in your your gecko room or whatever that's 100 percent efficiency but if you use a heat pump or air conditioner type setup, which is, um, tran- it's actually capturing the heat from outside and bringing it in. So mm. you can use mini splits if you can. And, um, you know, that's, that's generally what I do for heating. And I got the, I got the, the radiant hydronic heat for the floor that keeps the heat coming up. Um, so the floor isn't super cold or never gets super cold. That's my, not my first choice for heating. The heat pumps are always my first choice because they're more right. efficient than one hundred percent. So yeah, that's that's a general gist. I mean I did a lot more
0: to it, but um I have what I about have a, um yeah, go ahead. Oh oh sorry, I was gonna say what about like um the the insulation? Did you did you go for like super intense insulation um, solutions or did you mostly just focus on the the energy systems?
2: Yeah, the insulation is very important. I think the main main thing that you want to do with insulation is not have gaps in
0: your your
2: any anywhere. Right. That's that's the biggest key. So even in your house, you you know it's a, the, these same concepts go you know translate over to your home. So the most modern homes out there, they really seal the house completely. Yeah. They just absolutely seal, mm-hmm. and then they use an either the HRV system or the ERV. If you're in a humid environment, the the ERV actually moves some of the humidity over, so that's a benefit for humid climates. But Um, The HRV system or that, they use that to keep the ventilation in the house rather than most people throw on a bathroom fan and they have holes around their windows and their doors and stuff. Mm -hmm. The modern homes, they really keep a tight seal. So that's the biggest thing for insulation. The second thing is obviously your R factor on your walls and stuff. Um, I got the maximum amount. My, I, I have a, a steel building. I got the maximum amount they would allow. I think it was R13. Um, if you're building a, a stick frame shop or whatever, you would go with the maximum you can. Um, I think the way I set it up with, with what I have, I didn't put any penetrations in the wall besides one door that leads into my main shop. So I actually have my, my full shop, which is, uh, I'm being think right now, it's 80 by 70, or I'm sorry, 80 by 40. Um, And then I sectioned off the gecko room to be about a thousand square feet on that. And so Mm -hmm. the only entryway into my gecko room is actually through the main shop. So it actually has, um, it doesn't even get the cold air from the outside from that, even. So I really keep it pretty isolated from that. There's all, because I'm pumping air out of the, straight pumping the air out of my feeder room it's not a a ton of air but it's a little bit and i program my hrv system to pull a little more air out than in so it's always a little bit of negative pressure in my 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 uh gecko room Um, there's always some air coming in for sure but um the ventilation and stuff or the the uh, insulation and stuff it's not going to matter as much when you're trying to ventilate it and do all this stuff. Um, the penetrations mm-hmm. in the wall and stuff, making sure those things are sealed really well, are going to make a bigger difference. But anything that's right. above R ten is pretty pretty good at that point.
0: Yeah. Thanks for that. Makes yeah, a lot of sense. Of course.
2: You know, it's a, it's one thing I think a lot of people overlook. And I mean, for leopard geckos, it's kind of a big deal because I'm pouring calcium powder like every three seconds and like that dust is coming in the air and it's just nasty. I mean, I don't know how bad it is for your lungs, but I don't want to be breathing it. And I'm doing this full time and I'm the only person oh, yeah. there, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I really want to in the air quality too. You don't want to smell, you know, you're always going to have the animal smell no matter what. But you want to keep that air, fresh air coming in as much as possible if you can. And so, mm-hmm. if you have a high density of animals, I mean, even like, you know, smaller setups where you don't have that many animals, you want to keep fresh air coming in, you know, yeah. all the time. So, yeah, I, I
0: think, think it's, it's a, like super overlooked part of husbandry is just ventilation. And yeah. I mean, so many of the like, the, you know, commercial enclosure manufacturers, even I think, um, like they just don't have any functional ventilation at all. Like, it, like I'm always modifying stuff to actually make it so that the airflow is actually moving through, you know, mm. um, it seems like one of those kind of frontiers. I feel like it's kind of, it's still out there in herbiculture and especially in the enclosure world is figuring out how to, how to make them in a way that they actually ventilate well. Yeah. Right. And I'm so, a little bit
1: in that regard because everything I have, almost everything I have is open top. Right. So it's like, and yeah. it's just dealing with the whole space more than the you know the individual enclosures. So, yeah, I, I get makes that. a lot of sense. Yeah, that was really cool. That's it's nice to hear about all of that stuff. Yeah,
2: this, I, yeah. I, I think deeply about it when you're building it from the ground up like that. You got to really think deeply about stuff. And, you know, right. like I mean, another thing I think would be valuable to people out there is um, the electrical side of stuff and. Using, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people think that, like, so we see a lot of electric fires with, with reptiles and using heat tape and that, that extent. And a lot of people think, oh, let's put them on a, you know, uh, a power strip or, you know, if we have a GFCI breaker or whatever, that's mm-hmm. fine. That's, that's going to be plenty. But the problem what's happening with your, with your heat tape is that it's having an arc. It would be any. It wouldn't mm-hmm. be any different than like a squirrel getting up in your attic and you know chewing on the wire and crossing the lines, and you get a you get a arc there as well. And so what they've they've made for um, this situation, and they're they're actually requiring it in homes quite a bit more at this point, or arc fault uh, breakers. And so mm-hmm. they're not only checking for ground fault, which would be like in your bathroom, you touch your blow dryer and you touch water and something that's a ground fault you're, you're faulting to ground mm-hmm. but when you arc fault you're you're fa- faulting from the hot to the neutral and so when you're having an issue with your heat tape at least this is what i think would happen i've never actually experimented with it but these things are pretty mm-hmm. sensitive and i think if i ever had an arc fault in my heat tape that it would break that that circuit so they're expensive circuit breakers. They're like 50, 60 bucks. But I think anybody that's keeping reptiles
0: should a lot less on expensive there. than a fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. I
2: mean, it's it's a no-brainer once you know the problem is just understanding that what what's gonna happen if if that heat tape fails on you. And like right. right. If that heat tape fails on you, it's getting an artful and these should set them off. They're notorious for setting off with like different types of machinery and different, you know, mm-hmm. other things. So a lot of people don't like them because of that. I've ran them and tested them on my herb stats with Flex Watt Heat Tape um, for a couple of years now, and never had one mess up on me. So wow. they've gotten a lot better. From you know, a lot of electricians didn't want to use them in the beginning because they were having some issues with you know breaking all the time. Yeah, um, but it's the same idea. You usually get them as a dual. So you, you'd want to get them for your, your gecko room or whatever, and you get them as a dual circuit breaker. So you get them. I, I use 20 app in all my, my circuits for my reptile room. Um, you usually get them 15 or 20, but I use 20 for all my circuits in my reptile room and I got them on the duals. So, you know, every breaker is like 50, 60 bucks. They may have come down in price since then, but um. They they should stop any ground fault where you touch the wire and you're sitting on some water or you're touching water or whatever. That's the standard like safety mm-hmm. fault. But if you have an arc fault, whether your wires cross or whether you know your your heat tape starts doing that yeah. you know, funny business, it should shut it off. And so I think I'm pretty well protected. Obviously, you're using I am using um flex watt with the fire retardant on it now. Um, -hmm. I'm using, um, you know, PVC racks. I use animal plastics pretty much only at this point. And, Mm -hmm. um, I don't really have it. I've never had heat tape completely fail on me. I've had it crinkle up pretty bad. And so I replaced it, but, um, you know, I think that's a good backup for a lot of these people that are, you know, stressed out about this. It's one stress that (laughs) we all have is that, that fire that we see. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah,
2: I mean, And you see the red burning, is just like, you know, nothing's worse. Yeah.
0: yeah. 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 Man, I got to say, I admire just like how thoroughly you've thought through all this stuff. I mean, I, I built this little building that I'm in right now for the herbs and this and another and have a few more that I'm going to be building um in the future. And it's like, it's a lot to think through. And, you know, even on this little tiny scale, this is just a hundred square foot room I'm in right now. You mm. know, so that's really cool to to hear it from yeah. like a scale like that.
2: Yeah. Little, little things too. I have an air compressor that I ran through there and I have a hose line uh air hose line that I come go through and I, I can blast the whole thing with air and and suck it out and get rid of all mm-hmm. the dust as well. Yeah. Um I I have a mop sink in there where I can dump any water I ever mm-hmm. need. That's a good idea to have in a, a reptile room. Um you know inspectors will think you're putting in a restaurant but <laughs> 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 you know they, they gave me a few problems along the way, but you know, um, yeah. They, I hear the little things some like some that cannabis. really help. <laughs> yeah. That's either cannabis or, uh, <laughs> you know, as much cocoa, cocoa fiber as I buy, you know, yeah. <laughs> something's going on. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm just waiting for the knock on my door at some point, but uh, yeah, yeah, man, that's really cool. Well, well, there's another thing I wanted to ask you about, but just before we get too far away from it, we are already kind of, moved on from this section of the conversation but I did want to ask it just cuz it feels important and um I mean you spoke into to you know nurturing other people and encouraging other people in, in herpetoculture getting started and I'm curious if there was anyone who kind of fulfilled that role for you earlier on when you were getting started or if there are any any you know people out there that inspired you or that you looked up to it's always something I'm interested to hear about
2: um as far as leopard geckos like morphs go like i mean ron tremper would probably be one um you know I he, he gets a lot of crap but you know he's kind of a pioneer and so you know i give him a lot of respect um for being that and you know kind of starting it up from the ground up and really you know innovating um I have I have some people over in Europe, like some of the people I got some of my Angermanu from, that really were out there studying these things, and really, you know, I talk to them all the time. Unfortunately, one of them has passed now, and um, Mm -hmm. I really respect that guy. That you know, he would talk to me every day about Angermanu, and most of my animals came from him. And you know, he was out there in the field. He invited me out there quite a few times. I feel, you know, conflicted about not going. You know, he, mm. he wanted me to go out to Iran with him and study these things. And, I, you know, I had kids at that time and I was, um, I'm a six foot three redhead dude with freckles. And, you know, I don't necessarily <laughs> not stand out in, in Iran. So it, mm-hmm. it maybe a lot of that's unfounded and probably is. But, you know, a little bit worried. And I don't know if my wife had been too happy mm-hmm. about that either. But I lived a lot through him and the herping he did out there um Jan Seneca. so I, I I think he, he mm. deserves the credit so um you know I I learned a lot from like the Sassobeck videos back when he first started like the, the all the videos he posted online um he has a lot of controversy about him too but I learned a lot um you know even even like the snake bite stuff you know just kind of thinking about it in that way like a, a reptile business um Mm -hmm. let's see jeff at uh, jmg you know he had some really cool stuff when i first started um there was a lot there was a lot of people in the leopard gecko world that were um big names that i i kind of looked up to a lot of the originators of like the projects and stuff i always respect you know like there's uh, the jason haygood that's uh gecko genetics you know everybody says mandarin now which is kind of mm-hmm. sad because really it's his, you know, he sold a gecko to somebody and they rebranded it as, as Mandarin. And it really is gecko genetics. that deserves the credit, but you know, if you put Mandarin on the name, everybody buys it. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, I got to put gecko genetics or disease Mandarin on that stuff. Yeah. Um, there's Dan the Fireman, which was the uh, originator of the Firewaters and stuff like that. Like some of the original people, you know, I don't know if they necessarily did more than anybody else in the hobby, but they were kind of the originator. So it kind of, you know,
0: yeah.
2: I, I feel it's good to give them some respect. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure there's tons of people I'm not thinking of right now. Oh, Frank Reed's probably in the monitor world. Like I I really think mm-hmm. I you may as well, um, Phil, but yeah really learned a lot from him and thinking about it in an outside perspective like really like Mm you know like he was he was kind of an a-hole to everybody on the chats and stuff you go back to those uh we net forums and stuff and he Mm -hmm. he was just kind of a jerk to everybody but yeah i learned a lot from that guy um so this deserved to give him some respect and um you know oddly enough uh, john boone like Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know what happened to him, but, you know, and I won't speak on that. I never had an issue with him myself, and, like, I know he disappeared, mm-hmm. but, you know, the guy was an absolute wealth of knowledge. He gave me a lot of information. Mm-hmm. Um, Another guy that's basically like John Boone toy 2.0 is uh, Zach Crixton. And oh, yeah. He's been a friend. He's in Colorado as well, but yeah. he's been a friend for a long time. I think he's got more species than John Boone as well. So, I think he's over 500 now so he's, wow. uh yeah he's super cool dude um he he really he knows the stuff more than I can ever imagine like I mean you think you you think you know the big names out there like he's the quiet big name that like you won't he won't get on the forums he's not active at all but he has every species and he's kept every species of you know at least of geckos yeah. every obscure mm-hmm. species out there he sends me a picture like maybe Every couple months and he just sends me it and I'm like, I have to play a guessing game on Google trying to figure out what it is. What is and that? He's like, Yeah. He he's one of those guys. And I mean, he's traveled all around the world, you know, which is something I'd want to do as well. Yeah. Like herping everywhere. That would be really cool. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. actually funny out here in, in Boise, you would never like I I think I thought the same in Colorado, but out here in Boise, it's like there's crazy amount of reptiles around here. I, oh, yeah. I see Oh yeah. I see, you know, just in my house, I see garter snakes and I see uh, uh, gophers and rattlesnakes and uh, really cool tiger salamanders. Um, what else do I see? I think it's chorus frogs, racers, um, mm-hmm. like okay. regular fence lizards. So when I grew up, it was always I always saw a lizard, I never saw a snake. But out here, it's like the opposite, so it's kind of cool.
1: Dude, I, I love a good tiger salamander. There's nothing those dopey, dopey successful lay holes, man. They're so, they're so funny. I love those little guys. Um, so I, I love, I love hearing about that. Something I'm, I've also been curious about just, you know, probably since I met you, but just never really got the opportunity to, to ask and try to get you to flesh out is like, uh, how did, how did you, so like, when did you start keeping pure species and, and sort of, you know, and, and this can lead into like what makes you psyched about, about some of the stuff you work with. And that can be the, specifically the Engram if you like. Um, and then sort of maybe uh, a bit of a peripheral question back when y- you were still here and I was working with some stuff, those uh, Eublepharous fuscus basically didn't seem to produce males almost ever. And, and mm. did that, did you guys like, cr- did you crack that code or anything? Is there any sense of how, how that works now? Or is that still the case?
2: No, it, you know, what's weird about it? It seems like all the Indian species don't produce males. So there oh. was Fuscus hardwicky and now there's sapiarensis, which yeah. was the one that we all thought was a species we saw in pictures and stuff. And they finally uh, described it. Um, but I don't keep Sapirensis. I was, you know, the prices were stupid and I don't think it was that special. Um, okay. when, for that price, I, I may, I may keep it in the future, but, yeah. um, turns out it looks like those are hard to produce males as well. And so, you Whoa. know, I, I experimented with temperature, everything you could, I think at higher temperatures like leopard geckos or macularis, they, they do produce more males, but it's maybe one in 10. Um, I heard uh, kind of, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that there are certain females in Hardwicky that produce males only. Oh, and that's well. how <laughs> some of the people in Europe were just producing a lot of males and we were having problems. Wow. So, yeah, I, I kind of lost my interest with Hardwicky and Fuscus and in right. um, general. Just one reason, big reason was because of that. Um, I sort of let my breeders get too old as well, which uh. was unfortunate. Um, I, you know, through the moving and then also building the shop here, I kind of, I don't know why I didn't think of it, but you know, some of my breeders are getting up to 14 years old and stuff, you know, wow. really old, really old at this point. So it kind of messed up in that sense, but also, you know, a lot of, there's some big names that are trying to mass produce them and, wow. you know, for whatever reason, they're trying to sell them stupid cheap and I don't know why they would do it. But there's always that, that idiot gets involved and then takes a the species is really cool. You know, I spent, you know, 6,000 of my first trio of those, you know, yeah. like, you know, somebody's trying to sell them to me for a hundred bucks a piece, <laughs> you yeah. know, for, for Fuscus. And it's just like, like, you know, why, you know, why do that? Mm-hmm. You know, when everybody else is selling for 300, why produce a ton of them and sell them for a hundred, you know, like, yeah. That's just, I don't know, it doesn't make sense. So I'm not, I'm not eager to get back into them at this point. I've done that already. There's a lot of species of obscure geckos that I'd rather get back into um, Mm -hmm. than that at this point. So I'm not super obsessed with that. I still have a lot of fuscus and They're The males I'm sure would, would produce for me. Um, Mm -hmm. The females I'm just trying to get an egg or two out of that are good. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, hopefully I can expand on that later just to keep my bloodlines going. And that's the only reason to. If I was a smart business person, I'd get rid of them, to be yeah. honest. But <laughs>
1: I mean, it sounds like you're a smart business person, but in just some different, you know, do you just prioritize different things, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, something you were just mentioning, um, with you know, people sort of trying to mass produce something. Um I was mentioning we recorded a show yesterday with Ron St. Pierre that actually came out today. And um I was kind of whining a little bit in that episode about uh, this there's like a there's like a per, there's a a couple of folks who who seem like they really want to try to mass produce Euromastics, and look, I don't care what your motivations are. Like, I don't care if it's a paycheck. I don't care like what you think you're doing. Like, just the the sort of hubris to misunderstand why that's really hard to do and it's not going to work like other lizards in the way you expect it to work is mm-hmm. enough for me to feel like really confident about it. But it's also like why. Why do it that way? Like why, Mm -hmm. as you said, why produce a thousand of them at a hundred dollars when you can produce 200 of them and charge, you know, a decent amount of money for each one where you can be reasonably sure that they're going to get good care because they're not something that somebody, ah, this is only 50 bucks. I don't care. You know what I mean? Like when you, when you, you know, if you have to pay 800 to a thousand dollars for one of those animals, you're going to take damn good care of it. You're going to give it a home for a little while. Right. Yeah. so yeah. I don't, I, I, yeah, I don't understand that.
2: Yeah. It makes, it makes no sense, you know, and you're, yeah, you're, you're You have, you have one of the blockades right there, where it's care is, is difficult, which is one of the ways you can stop people from doing that. And it's a good way, you know, with leopard geckos, it's a little more difficult, but there is the genetic integrity. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you buy from a mass produced um, facility, you're getting something you don't know is true. So like even the guys right. that claim that produce a lot of leopard geckos in the U.S. that they say that they're, you know, true morphs or whatever, and they'll, they'll claim what it is. It's almost never the case. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So for people that don't understand leopard geckos very much, the the crossing of albinos is big, like really frowned upon. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. like you can't even have hets that cross because then you don't know what you have. So right. there's three albinos and leopard geckos. There's Trumper bell, and, and rainwater. And if you cross those or hats or possible hats, you're basically breeding pet geckos at that point. So it's not—I don't know how it is with with other species and stuff across the board how how that's played out yet. But um, with leopard geckos, it's a big no-no to 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 breed you know albinos together or breed possible hats. And so what happens a lot of times is somebody gets a tangerine. From another breeder and they label it, oh, possible head trimper, for instance. And then that breeder breeds it to their tendering line or whatever. And then they sell those babies as tenderings and don't tell anybody about the heads in them. And the next person takes that and they still have that possible head trimper in them. And then they go and they cross them into the rainwater albino. And all of a sudden you have a double head. Or you get shady people, which are a lot of the big people at the top that just took stuff and crossed it automatically, and which I've through test breeding and proven that out many times to have happened. So, um, yeah, that's, that's one thing we can, you know, somebody like myself or anybody else that takes the diligence to like really go through this stuff and, and test breed it well and, and say that, you know, I sat here and tested it. Well, I did all my testing on crypto, you know, cause, um, um, is a big problem in leopard geckos. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. and the, the, the hard part about crypto with leopard geckos is it's very asymptomatic with a lot of geckos. So you could have a gecko that's poop is normal, the health is normal, eats great, fat, healthy, and that could gecko could be carrying it. And the second you breed that male to ten females, all those crash on you, and all of a sudden you got a big mm-hmm. problem on your hand. So you know, and the PCR testing is not very accurate. So it's got you got to <laughs> test. It. You know you get a positive gecko and you got to test it four more times and make sure it's still positive which i've Ugh. had happen where mm-hmm. it's really not positive and i've had negative geckos test positive the second time you oh. know? Mm-hmm. and that's so at this point now i don't even bring in stuff anymore i've brought in in the last six years i brought in three small groups of geckos and super quarantined tests for crypto only you know bred them to a couple males And you know or within the group itself and that's it before even releasing stuff only you know really being careful about stuff
1: and and Mm -hmm. just just out of curiosity what what was the reason that you brought those animals in were they something special were they just you know just fresh yeah
2: just stuff i just absolutely kind of had to have it wasn't like i'd probably buy more stuff if i like thought like oh like this would be easy just bring it in throw it in my collection but you know it's a big process to bring it in like i don't Right. Mess around with quarantine anymore um i don't think stuff is like jumping tub to tub but i think the two main ways is um maybe people using dirty tubs possibly i don't I think that's some most people know how to clean the tub if you just let the tub dry out most of those spores are dead mm. so um i think the biggest issue is breeding when you have an asymptomatic male for instance which most people breed one male to multiple females yeah um you'll have You'll have a lot of um, geckos getting infected from one male and that male will look great and these people won't understand what's going on and they'll think one of the females have the problem and not know what it is and so even breeders uh-huh. that didn't really have the problem in their collection like they could sell it to somebody and that person breeds their crypto gecko to that that gecko all of a sudden it crashes and they're like what's wrong with the gecko you messed it up or whatever my yeah. you know i didn't have this problem before and so yeah, it's a um, it's a big issue out there for sure. I think it's less of a problem lately, um, but you know, anybody that's taking the pet store geckos and the stuff like that, mm-hmm. they're they're really taking a big risk. And a lot of a lot of you know injury level breeders are taking their pet go- pet store geckos and kind of adding them into their their new breeders and stuff, which is understandable, but they really don't understand what's going on. Right. And so a lot <laughs> of issues happen with that. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's unfortunate. A lot of, a lot of, you know, and that's uh, going back to the main point. And that's what I'm trying to sell myself, you know, like to try to compete with some of these people are producing massive stuff is like, <laughs> I've made that effort to do that. Yeah. Um, my clean genetics and trying to produce the best leopard geckos possible. So it's yeah. more of a, you know, it's not just your average leopard gecko anymore. So. Right. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, so, t- uh, so tell us a little bit about, um, before we go to, uh, there's a handful of, uh, there's a, a handful of other questions I, I would like to get to and, and, and sort of just chat about, but I really want to ask you about the Angramanu for, for, for a bit and talk a little bit about kind of what excites you about those and, and sort of how that started for you, how those became uh, a focus for you, because I don't think it's, I mean, look, I, I understand that other folks breed various pure species and whatnot, but I do think it is um it is kind of interesting when you have someone who's sort of doing both right where they're breeding they they have this whole segment of what they do that is morph morph work right which oh, is great i love it and you, of course you get people who like it and hate it and whatever and people who think it's a pyramid scheme and all that stuff but then you also have uh you also have these pure species in this and this really sort of like rigid adherence to this one type of animal so you have this sort of both things going on at the same time so how did that start for you and and um what are you what excites you about those guys
2: um well the burnt i've kept a lot of species of reptiles over the years and Andromania are probably my favorite out of all to just start that off with cool. they're they're just they're just rad geckos they're huge um Dang. for people that don't know they are very similar to leopard geckos in a lot of ways but they are quite a bit bigger. Um, you know, they, they are skinnier so that the weight doesn't absolutely translate to size. So you could have a buffers macularis that's, you know, a super giant, which is, you know, depending on who you're talking to, thinks it's an actual morph or not, but you can have some of those get to 150 grams or so. But if you have an anger you get to 150 grams. It's similar to having like a macularis get to 200 grams based on size. Mm -hmm. You're just absolutely massive. They're just a different thing altogether. And what a lot of people don't realize is how different they are. Because when you look at a picture, it obviously downsizes the the gecko. It makes it look like more of like another gecko or, you know, it looks like a skinny macularis, if anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So they are, they're kind of, out of all the pure stuff and all the other stuff I work with, they're definitely my favorite. And, um, you know, probably my favorite reptile. And i always keep them, especially Elon that province for whatever it's it's just a really cool it's they get big they're prolific they they eat well they produce well you know they're just as easy as a standard leopard gecko so i think they could become popular especially because of their size mm-hmm. um but they you know the interesting fact about them if you look at the whole genus under you look at macularis and all the indian species the hardwicky fuscus Etc. you would think that Angermani have got to be closely related to Macularis, but they actually, out of all those, they are the most divergent of all of them. So, wow. mm. yeah, they, you know, they, they, the Iranian plateau and the Zagros mountains have separated them off, separated them off for, you know, they estimate around 20 million years, 20 to 30 million years. Wow. And so, These two species have been isolated, and yet they've developed pretty similar. Yeah, they have, like, these different things about them. For instance, like Macularis only um, is mature, usually can breed within 8 to 10 months, whereas an Angermonti won't breed for two and a half to 3 years, typically. Wow. Um, Mm. Angermonti get quite a bit bigger. They are more slender in general. They don't get, you know, really fat and heavy for the most part. They're some almost people like, have managed to do that, but they're
1: almost like spidery in there. Yeah, they're you know, they, like they're just so <laughs> so wide and spread out. And I only say that. I mean, I I had a few, right? I had a few. Mm-hmm. I only had a few, but they they're, they're, they're to say that pictures don't justify it is 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 kind of an understatement. You know, like they mm-hmm. really don't. Like you you can't appreciate, as you said, you really can't appreciate how different they are until you kind of mm-hmm. see them,
2: right? Yeah. And according to molecular studies on them, uh, Angermani have been separated from um, the other sister uh, taxon for 27 million years. So they're mm-hmm. they're pretty far apart. Um, for instance, hardwicki has been um, separated for 19 million years uh, from the best estimates. Um, Fuscus, 14 million years. Um, and then uh, most of the sapirensis, which is the newest species, has only been about three to four million years. Wow. So, you can really see, you know, if you're talking about time and separation from the other species, they really are something completely different. Yeah. Um, wow. yeah. And, you know, weird thing is like, I just always thought they would be temperature sex dependent because that was just always the thing with leopard geckos, and they're so similar, and it never was the case. And it was just so weird to me, like how I'd just get, you know, I, I would incubate them for higher, or lower temperatures. Always kind of ended up the same. Wow! So, you know, you know something's really going on there. And when you see them in person, they're definitely different. Um, they have a temperament similar to a leopard gecko, even better maybe, because considering how close they are to wild caught. Still, um, yeah. You know, the wild caught like leopard geckos that I've I've had are just kind of jerks, and they, like for instance Elam is just a super nice species for the most part, you know, especially when they're older. Um, So just imagine your regular leopard gecko, longer, bigger, you know, more spidery, like you said, about like probably a better temperament in the long run. So they really are, they are really something kind of special that's kind of hidden there. And I think a lot of people talk about all these obscure species and what, you know, I don't necessarily want them to become mainstream or anything like that, but I feel comfortable selling them to somebody and thinking, you know, they're going to take good care of them because the species is easy to take care of as long as they follow basic guidelines. It's pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. They're, 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 they're pretty special in in a lot of ways and, you know, you never think that they would be that far separated, you know, if compared to like a uh, hard wiki, which was very, looks very different.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. looks totally different. Yeah. Wild. Amazing. Really, really, man. I love yeah, this. I would
2: I would die to get out there and you know Iran they 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 go up through the Zagros Mountains through Iran and um, Turkey and Syria as well and I've seen some pictures of the ones in Syria they're really you know yellow colored and kind of they're kind of really cool looking as well so um, there are there are, uh, a few like localities that are kept in captivity from Iran mostly um, that is. Uh, Kerman Shah province. Um, there's uh, Choga Zambal, which is a kuzakhstan province. There's Masjid Mish- Suleiman, which is a Kuzikstan province. Um, what's the other one? I'm not thinking of. Elam. And so Elam is my favorite out of all. It's not the most expensive, but Masjid is actually, I donated a lot of sheds to a, a study on new blepharous and they found that it's close to being separated as a separate species Um, The threshold. If they put the threshold, I forgot how it how it works, but it's um, somewhere like 5% in the mitochondrial DNA. They put the threshold at 5%, it's considered a separate species, but if they put it at 7%, it's not. So it's pretty close. Wow. Amazing. There's a, there's a lot to know about this uh, genus within, you know, that area it needs more more studying and more yeah. work for sure.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow, really really cool man. That's it's so fun. Yeah, I love that you have so many locality types of those too. It's, it's such a cool thing to to have so much um like fun variety even though it's it all it all kind of fits in almost the same shape. You know what I mean? It's like something Yeah. yeah. <laughs> same shape of animal but there's so yeah much.
2: there's so more and what makes it easy about it and besides the um, Angermon, you like Dubia a lot better. You know, they don't like the mealworms as much. That's the only difficult part about it. But other than that, it's basically the same. Same same calcium, vitamin mixture, yeah. same temperatures, everything. So it, right. it makes it pretty easy to transition over from leopard geckos to Angermon.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: for sure. Very cool.
1: Well, yeah. so we have... Um, so we're like right up at an hour and a half at the moment. So we want to be mindful of, of your time and, and uh, I want to be mindful of Roy's as well. Um, so maybe Roy, uh, I would, maybe I can pass over to you for a couple of like one or two of our last questions. And then we have a closer to like one closer question that we ask every time and hopefully and so would that be okay? Is that cool time wise for you?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Whatever time you need. That's fine. I'm, I'm clear for tonight. So,
0: okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for that, man. Yeah. Well, one thing I'm definitely curious about, I mean, just obviously it's like you've, you've spoken that you're pretty much a one man operation and you're doing this, you know, as your livelihood. So, um, I'm curious about burnout, you know, and whether or not you you've experienced that, how you manage that and, and whether or not you have any kind of like personal like metrics or routines or practices, anything like that to help you stay well, you know, in the midst of holding a lot if that makes sense
2: yeah it's a it's a big problem and you kind of hit it on the head with that one it's uh you know i i had some major burnout probably around 2018 or so i bred a lot in 2017 because i was planning to move the next year and i just had to make some money to to do the move um bred way more than i probably should have um but you know i really pushed it um i had some burnout after that and then there was um for I don't know how many of you know, but the, the lemon frost ordeal with the yeah. leopard gecko community. I have that um, on here. I have that on our notes. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: It, it, it kind of it put a sour taste in my mouth about the whole community. Mm-hmm. I was really more outgoing before that. I was more involved and more like in the forums and or in the Facebook groups and all that stuff before that. Um, you know, I had a lot of good friends um, before that turn on me, you know, and it was just, mm-hmm. It was really weird because it was just like I was coming out with the information. Like I bought Lemon Frost for a lot of money and I had an incentive to to make them work, you know. And like everybody Jeez. thought because I was exposing the information about them and like bringing to light what was already known and what a lot of people already knew, like that I was the bad guy. And I became like their target and I was just the person that they came yes. after because of that. And so that was a big burnout for me. Um, a lot of people turning on me, friends and just like kind of discouragement in the community. Um, the whole, and kind of after that COVID kind of hit and then also the move and building my shop and, um, facility, I kind of just separated myself from the community and tried to do the best I could with my, the product I was bringing out and stuff with people and, um, you know, just kind of escaped to my own myself, you know, at that point. Um, mm-hmm. some ways that I cope, cause I did experience probably maybe 2018, 19 after the move, I experienced some really bad burnout at that point. Um, some things that helped me out was just getting some other hobbies, you know, just getting yeah. expanding, you know, I don't know if I want to do this exclusively for the rest of my life. I kind of, my, my more recent thoughts are kind of maybe doing some other stuff too, like side businesses and downsizing maybe a little, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I had the cipher thing going, so I took a big part of my collection for a while, and it was a lot of work. Um, It was a blessing and a curse to hatch out like a first, like base morph like that, like a recessive gene that actually is one, but it's also kind of a curse too because you got to figure out all what's going on with it, and you got to devote a lot of your collection to it. And then with leopard geckos, the turnaround's really quick, and so like you know, once you sell them, you know that people were already selling them cheap. <laughs> right. So mm-hmm. it was, it was, you know, it was a good thing, but not, you know, some things about it were not great either. So, um, I just, I would say try to, you know, sometimes getting new animals can really help. I, I getting like, looking into getting new stuff. Cause I was really exciting at the beginning. It was always having buying new stuff and really expanding on that and changing things. Um, uh, getting new hobbies like for instance this year i've gotten it's kind of a weird hobby but <laughs> i've gotten into uh uh fig propagation which i don't know if you've ever heard of figs it's it's actually it's it's all as big as uh reptiles are it's almost just as big you know in the in the fruit community because wow. figs are like what? a weird fruit that tastes you could have 10 different fruit fig trees and you can have 10 different tasting fruit. And so what yeah. a lot of people do is they grow them in pots um and they keep them outside and they they experiment with the different you know types and they actually sell what what they sell are cuttings because figs propagate yeah. from cuttings really well. And so yeah. in the, the winter and uh early spring, a lot of people sell fig cuttings and there's an actual website called Fig Bid and people sell them on Figbid. Yeah, it's, wow, pretty, it's popping, I had man. No I'm idea. telling you. No clue. Uh, so, you know, there's cutting. I mean, that, I get it.
0: Figs are awesome, but.
2: <laughs> like, if you're one of the bigger fig guys, like, out there and you're selling them, you're selling literally sticks off of your tree that you already got to cut anyway to to print them. And you're selling sticks as long as they have, like, three nodes. You're selling them for anywhere from, you know, usually most of the bigger guys sell them from 10 to to 100 bucks a piece. And so. Yeah, I'm should... looking
1: at it right now. Here's a $250 pig. Pig, pig. <laughs>
2: yeah oh wow. so it i i have a kind of sad to admit but i have like 140 fig cuttings going right now
0: whoa so, dude wow. wow that's amazing <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little weird so cool
2: but all of them like and it's weird because like the figs have a lot of history because what happened with figs is people like and Italy and Spain and Portugal Mm -hmm. and places like that, they had their family fig tree that they passed down from generation to generation. And so a lot of, a lot of what happened was when the immigrants came over um, they brought their fig tree with them. They took a cutting or cuttings. They took a bunch of cuttings and they brought it with them and they would uh, plant it outside their house. And so in the U S we have all these cuttings or all these fig trees that are all these like really special family heirlooms that have you know, wow. passed down to generations, and so what people do is they go and they try to find these and stuff, and they Whoa. they find these new these new varieties and stuff that, you know, they taste anywhere from like honey, straight honey, to like strawberries, the berries, and all these different things. So, oh. I mean, and, and you know, that's really it, cool. it's Just finding something else to keep your you know keep your interests up. Like I think uh, that that kind of goes along with our reptile weird obsession obsession oh yeah yeah, yeah I, I i see I see phil looking at the big big, big am, right now I <laughs> am. I'm at he's, big he's big. Just placing a bit as we speak <laughs> <I> <laughs> know. he's already got an account and he's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, gonna
1: go <laughs> from, I'm gonna go from arids only to figs only <laughs> wild there's yeah. so many also like that's really cool mulberries and pomegranates and stuff on here too
2: this is really yeah cool, i i do some mulberries too which are Dude, cool,
1: if you, if you grow a mulberry tree, send me every leaf you could possibly muster. <laughs> well, I have,
2: I have, I have, I think four trees planted right now and I got four cuttings going right now. So, okay. I'm yeah, getting... I should have some. Nice. A, a cool thing about Very mulberries cool. is they pro- produce so much fruit that they kind of keep the birds off of your other fruits. So like I'm growing like six yeah. tree trees and I'm growing Whoa. apple trees and Growing a bunch of peach and nectarines and apricots and interspecific hybrids and all this stuff. And Sick,
1: dude. Yeah. Oh my then, God.
2: Yeah. Man,
1: this is then, interesting.
2: It, another another weird one that I'm into, I guess I should mention, is uh pawpaws, which are like they're they're also oh, called yeah? the Indiana Banana. Some people yeah. know about uh-huh. them. Yeah. Um, but now they have like actual cultivars of them. They're kind of in, you know, in the beginning stages, so they have cultivars of them that are really, really good. And it's crazy how good they are. Like the only the only issue with them is they don't ship well, so you don't see them Hmm. in stores and stuff. So you you won't see them like here in you in Colorado or here in Idaho or whatever. Um, But you can you can get them ordered on Etsy or from different growers and stuff. But I've been growing those with the cultivars, and I've got a bunch of seeds that are that are from like really like high end cultivars as well. And I'm going to be growing those and yeah a bunch of weird stuff.
0: Dude, that's fun, man. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm,
2: yeah. I, I have I have the space to do it now, and so it kind of been my side thing, and it, it's kept my mind off of like you know the stresses of the leopard gecko stuff, and yeah, um, you know, the, it, you deal with customers day in and day out, shipping. You know, I'm I ship quite a bit because just of the what I the species I'm into. So, yeah. shipping is yeah. stressful, especially this time of year. Um, yeah, you know. It's, it's fine when you have five boxes going out and you only have to email 5 people yeah. and like yeah. tell them about the weather the day before. But when you got 25 going, you know, it just yeah. exponentially like gets harder as one yeah. person just to, you know, I don't know. Hey, your weather is looking like it's uh, maybe okay tomorrow, but I don't know quite yet until I look tomorrow. And it's like, right. you know, this kind of like, what do you do, you know? Yeah.
1: And then if you have mm-hmm. 10 and 20 boxes go out and then you have to feel all of like, because, you know, for some reason with FedEx, like one out of every three goddamn boxes is delayed. Mm-hmm. Even if they all go to the same place, you know, and on the same from the same place. And so mm-hmm. then you have to deal with like, you know, 20 percent or more of those people saying like, oh, it's delayed. Is everything going to be OK? I'm like, yes, yeah, it's, it's going to be fine. Let's, but I'm sorry you have to take another day off of work or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be so yeah that, that can get really that can be a lot that can be quite a lot
2: um yeah i mean I, i've shipped you know tens of thousands of geckos now at this yeah. point and i i had one day where i lost two geckos from two different oh. boxes and it was from mm. um, faulty heat packs that i got oh so wow. maybe a good piece of info to add for people listening is you know always check your heat packs because i never did i always thought you know you get those 40 hour unit pack heat packs or whatever and you just throw them in there i have Mm -hmm. four boxes now of heat packs from the same company the same company we all use and i mark on the outside what their average temperatures are so i i put um i actually uh open like four or five of them from different spots in the box just to see what they're doing i have a i have some that will i will open for an hour and they'll be at 80 80 degrees and i'll open another one for an hour and they'll be at 100 Whoa. So same, same company, same brand, everything. Crazy. And that's, you know, I thought for the longest time because I smelled the ones that, that I got that one time and I had the dead-on arrivals. Yeah. And they had a weird smell to them. And I was like, oh, it's got to be this toxic smell coming off of them. But now I think mm-hmm. I measured them, too, compared to new ones I've gotten after that, and they just got really, really hot. And so oh, I would say… You literally can buy the same brand, the same everything. They're fairly cheap, you know, compared to like packs or whatever. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Always check the temperatures on them and mark down what the temperatures are getting at and keep a record of that because you know you can use those lower temperature ones for you know more average mm-hmm. temperature shipping situations. Um, you can use the hotter temperature ones for when you need it, you know. And so, and then I use sixty hours as well, but. And I almost put a cryopack in every one now, just, yeah, um, you know, knowing how to use a cryopack too. I don't think half the people know how to use those anymore, but, you know, just little things like that. But uh, the, the, you know, heat packs, really check them out make sure that they're not, they're doing what you think they are because they really change from box to box.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was hearing, I was hearing something about like there was a whole issue with them being like overfilled and and overheating because they're like like the actual like you know material inside the heat pack was overfilled and this whole batch of them and so that was I like really, one of those I really things where it, i was like I don't oh great i know i seem to have nightmares about <laughs> yeah
2: i don't think it's overfilled i think it's the chemical composition yeah. so there's a certain amount of like yeah whatever they use in there it's uh, water and iron and stuff and, and like if they don't get that perfectly right it's not going to perform the same so right like the of ones both the, the ones that i have that they're very different. They feel exactly the same before you, you know, open them. So right. Yeah.
1: Damn, dude, crazy, that is So wild. Um, well, so so we have, okay. So there's the I guess there's a there's two more questions and one and, and one of them is is the sort of the closer. Um, but Roy, do you uh the other one I was gonna ask is about like the future. Do you wanna ask that one? Um no, you go for it, go for it. That's fine. Okay, all right. So it's it's a base pretty basic question, John. So like, what is so what is the, what does the future look like for you? I know we kind of touched on this a little bit, and you were saying, "Make like, oh, I'm not really sure. I might I, I, maybe not. I don't want to do this forever. I'm not sure if I do, and at least maybe downsize and start some other stuff, or possibly." Um, what does the future look like for you? Do you have any sense about what the next five to ten years holds for for you and Gecko Boa?
2: Um, I, I think ideally I would downsize. Um, quite a bit and try to just focus on the super high quality and keep this as you know a business I I can't ever imagine that I get out of it at this point but um, you know keeping keeping the business alive and keeping you know this the highest quality animals I could and just really trying to focus on that it's hard to stay competitive if you downsize that much though you know so it's really it's kind of a numbers game to some some extent to really keep you know you know the keep up with the the competition out there you know um there's a lot of people producing really nice geckos and you know one of the problems is if i sell something that's not my whole back you know that might produce better geckos in my whole back too yeah yeah so um yeah just trying to keep it going to some extent and just keep the highest end geckos i possibly can less space less less animals um you know i don't I, I don't think I could keep this up at this rate. You know, I, I think I did an estimate recently that I've had close to 30 million mealworms in my life. Already. Oh my God. So, dude. <laughs> and that's not including do, dubia roaches. I'm just going off of orders that I've placed. So, I mean, I've, wow. I've had a lot of, there's few people that have had as much like time with their animals as I have, especially less leopard geckos. Most people have employees at this point or they're they're mm-hmm. out at this point. So, to keep this up as one person, you know, a one-man operation is kind of tough.
1: Bro, 30 um, million mealworms. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot of mealworms, sir. I
2: you know, 2.5 to 3 million a year right now. So, like at least Wow, <laughs> man. So, wow. yeah, it's a lot, you know, and I'm buying all those too, so it's expensive and sure. but um yeah, I think th- I think maybe even changing my my caging to some extent. You know, I don't think I'd ever go like to do YouTube or something like that. I don't think that's my my style. But you know, kind of doing more naturalistic setups and stuff like that might be something I'd be interested in, in the long run. Yeah, you know, maybe <laughs> sewing some figs and
1: <laughs> fig some yeah. I thought for sure you were going to say the future is figs. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, have I, fig- I, I have a lot of interests out there, you know, and like, you know, for me, I'm interested in welding and stuff. I've been doing a little bit of that, a little bit of blacksmithing, um, machine work and stuff like that. I, cool. you know, it's kind of fun on the side. Um, yeah. I, I got a really cool like 1929 anvil that's uh, close to 500 nice. pounds recently. And whoa. Yeah. That's awesome. Doing,
0: doing a little Those aren't easy to come by
2: yeah there's 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 a guy down in texas that brings him in from europe and so he bought in. Oh, uh, wow. he, he brings in some really cool big anvils and stuff and i got a big fly press that's you know one one made from back in the 20s as well and just just to do some fun stuff on the side and you know um i i you know i was supporting my whole family before my wife has a good job now though so you know i don't the, the burden is not quite on me as much anymore so Whoa. um I, I, I I'll i always, always keep busy though for sure. Right, um, leopard geckos will probably always be a part of that too. It's just you know the level it's got to probably decrease at some point.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're you're you're, yeah. You're, a, you're a very interested person, so it's not like you're ever going to be doing nothing.
2: Yeah. Well, you know what I you saw when you were in Colorado, I bought I think at least twelve more racks since then. So. You know, (laughs) that's a, and that's That's a one man show, you know? So efficiency is key and like making sure, you know, that I'm, I'm up to date on it. And like, I I can't take a vacation, you know, things like that. You don't think about, like, Mm -hmm. I just can't leave. Like you could have, like, even if I have the backups and stuff like that, it's just like, it's too hard to get away for even a few days. Like I would die for like Mm -hmm. a, a vacation to Hawaii for a week, you know, but it's just not, not possible, you know? And even if I do, it's like, you know, I come back and it's hell. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, game, right. I need to, and
0: you need, need a vacation to, from your vacation.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'm not complaining, man. I'm blessed for sure. And like, I have, you know, I'm, I'm on land, you know, which is always what I wanted. I wanted to have my piece of land and stuff like that and build my facility. And it's, it is what I wanted for sure, but yeah. I need to, now it's time to think about maybe retirement. <laughs> sure,
1: yeah, 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 absolutely. Retire yeah. way, sir. Let me tell you. Yeah. How old yeah, are you man.
2: now? You're, you're like, you're still, you're still pretty young. So I
1: just turned thirty-seven.
2: Ah, so nice. Not, yeah. not
1: so young anymore. I mean, I'm going to
2: be forty-three pretty soon. So yeah.
1: Yeah. No, yeah, Young-ish. Roy here is the young buck in the crew. Ah,
2: he's got the good news thirty-three. Head. Yeah,
1: thirty-three. Nice. Yeah, he, makes it, he, he makes 33 look like 27 I'll tell you that cool.
2: <laughs> <laughs> are you in Colorado too Roy or
0: I'm out in California Northern California oh okay nice. yeah so'm i uh, we
1: we didn't even meet Roy and I didn't eat. we started the show and we didn't hadn't even met in person until what this past summer right Roy you were out here over the over yeah the, that's
0: it yeah we got to hang out for like 24 hours that's it yeah,
1: it's pretty strange. Nice. Pretty cool. Yeah, become good friends around it, though. It's fun.
0: Yeah,
2: I, I also like to do some more shows and stuff. I miss that. Like, you know, I think a lot of people keep going with the shows. Like I did Tinley a few years back, and then mm-hmm. I did the Super Shows when I was in California. Right. I miss that. I have all the setup to do it, but, you know, out here there's nothing. Like the shows were just, you know, awful. Same thing in Colorado. It's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah. like a, you know a couple people running through a big auditorium and stuff it's not worth it
1: right right for sure yeah
2: especially if you are we're trying to into a super show or like tinley or daytona or anything like that it's like a whole different world
0: (laughs) yeah we just we we were gonna both be at the reptile super show in pomona and phil unfortunately got sick so he wasn't able to come but i was there really sick nice. and um that was my first super show too even though I live in California it's still it's like a you know eight-hour drive for me to get to Amona yeah from where I am so but um yeah it was amazing and we're gonna try and do at least a few shows a year like that so maybe we'll just let you know when we're doing one of those big shows and we can all hang out yeah you, can come Tenley, out, do if one you too. guys can
2: make it to <laughs> I I think I like Timley better you know maybe it's yeah. just because there's more gecko people there but like Tinley just seems like you're meeting a lot of people you don't know and like. Yeah, maybe it's changed in California a little bit, but you know, back in the day, it was more people that were just business oriented and that's all they cared about. And you know, mm-hmm. and the Tindley's more. The, it seems like more of the passionate people. They're into all the obscure stuff and cool, you know, reptiles and stuff. But yeah. I, I know there's great people in California too. I, I, you know, but a few, was, yeah. Like to get to Florida too
0: because it's like there's
2: sort to of Yeah,
0: no, too. But yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, hopefully we'll be at October Tinley this year, That's and cool yeah. one of these one of these years we got to get to Daytona. Soon enough, but all in due time. Yep. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Let me know. Let me know if you're going though, yeah. so. and you know, it's a uh, that would be that would be cool. Also, yeah. if you ever go yeah. uh, herping for some more collards. Oh (laughs) yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, man. I haven't been able to go, or I haven't been able to go like on a proper herb trip for a while. It's been, it's been a long time. I just haven't been able to get out. Like I've, I've managed to go to a couple places out here in Colorado, just like you and I did just out East. Um, that's great. And it's fun, but, um, partially it's because, you know, I, so I've got the reptiles, right. Which is, that's a big, it's a lot. Um, And now uh, a little over a year ago, I took over um, a local uh, presenting jujitsu academy. So I'm the the manager there of that place, too. So I'm kind of running back and forth and doing both things. And there is no such thing as a day off for me right now. And I'm busting my ass like crazy. So um, I'm looking forward to getting a little bit of a break and getting a little bit of time to be able to go herp again. And
2: well, you got a kid on the way, right? You said?
1: You have a kid on the way. Oh,
2: no break it's, coming. It's from it's me. No break, man. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. want three. It's it's stuff, oh, man. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. So three, three. I mean, luckily they're finally getting older. But man, when they're young, it's it's that stuff. Yep. So yeah. Yeah. Feel for you, brother.
1: Thanks man. help. Help. Send help. <laughs> well, a cry uh, for help. Yeah. <laughs> well, so <clears throat> Roy's gonna excuse me. We're always going to hit our our closer question. Yeah, yeah, I'll jump in. So this will be a good one. I I think you'll like it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, we ask the same closer question every episode, and that's just why herpetoculture? And, you know, that could be, why do you do it? Why do we do it? Why does it matter? Why herpetoculture?
2: Mm, I would say the big money, but not really. No, it's... I think it's innate. And like the people that want to do this, it's like, you know, I I had a business background. I was interested in that and I was interested in reptiles and they just fit together. And it was about timing. You know, I, when I left my job in corporate and I jumped into this, it was kind of a weird time in the market. Um, that's when the crash was happening. Like, you know, there was 2008, 2009 and I owned a home at that time. And basically it was hard to give all that up like owning a home and your job and everything and it was just like i can't do this anymore you know this is not yeah. my life um you got to do something you love you know whatever that is it doesn't need to be you know herbs or whatever but it could be you know figs. you know and Bigs. you can you sure. can you can make it happen if you put it your time to it and you you know, everybody that's trying to work the job and do this on the side, I, I feel for you because that's hard. I mean, like the when you're pushed into it and you're forced into it, you make it happen. You know, you'll survive, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of what I did. I it had to I had to make it work and it worked for me because of that. um You know, if I would have been trying to do the corporate job and when I was doing the corporate job and and doing this on the side, it wasn't working, and I was not doing mm-hmm. well. <laughs> so. The second i got out of it and put everything i had into it had into it it would have, it was a different story and you know you get you have to i mean unless you know problem is i think in this hobby or you know the benefit in this hobby is if you have a lot of money you go into this you kind of are spoiled and you don't really yeah you don't really grow it organically and know the struggle and you can't you won't make it that way and the people that have no money and you know to really push as hard as they can they really have the advantage it. um you mm. know and you can put everything you have into it and work as hard as possible and you can it can happen you know i mean i don't the you know the the market's changed completely there's a hard time right now of course there's ups and downs um there's no more COVID funny money right now so you <laughs> we're all you know hurting a little bit this last fall but things are picking up again yep. um mm-hmm. so we'll see but you know if, I, i've seen it worse than this
0: <laughs> yeah mm-hmm.
2: It, it, mm-hmm. prices went up a lot and i think we all got spoiled you know prices need to go down a little bit again Yeah, and you know maybe uh you saw more more animals at a lower price and that's the way it was you know inflation unfortunately is still there for when we're buying stuff you know but um yeah it's uh i think i'll always do this it's fun it's it's cool to create something new something yeah. unique Leopard geckos are unique in the way you have these polygenic traits that can, you know, improve upon every year. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I produced this last year, but this year it's better. This year it's better. And this year it's better. And, you know, a little side tangent on this is like, I, I, I bred one of my original pairs from back in like 2010, this last year. And it was like the same pairing. And I actually produced from this female. I didn't even know if I'd produce from her because she's kind of old. And like, back then I thought they were like my best stuff like I ever produced and like this year I th- everything from it it's I'm like this is junk <laughs> you know <laughs> like it, you don't even realize how much everything's progressed in these, these right mm. you know last 10 years even and it's just so much better like they're nice but they're not like anything I, mm-hmm. I produce now so it yeah. kind of mm-hmm. made me realize how much everything's progressed in the last 10 years so
0: that's cool
2: yeah i i I live for that and like the hatching of something new and opening that incubator and seeing five new babies that some of the stuff like you know the whole community will be excited about yeah Um, you know i can post a picture and everybody's like wow that's amazing so yeah 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 yeah, that's what i live for
1: that's awesome very cool very 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 cool cool, man awesome john well (laughs) shit. thanks man this has been such a fun really really interesting and enlightening conversation i really feel like i I pick up a lot every time i talk with you so thank you for the time
0: yeah really really it feels like we're just scratching the surface too i mean we'll definitely have to do this again at some point
2: yeah i'm I'm sort of obsessed about getting you know finding through the fine details and stuff and i could go on about all kinds of stuff you know vitamin supplementation and experiments with that and yeah. Um, you know, my trials with Ford flies, all kinds of weird subjects. So. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: No, we'll definitely I hear it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, it, man. We'll, just have to, we'll just have to have you on again for another, for another episode. Yeah,
2: if you, for you know, sure, man. Awesome yeah, like congrats you. on all this. This is cool, man. I didn't yeah, even know you were thank doing this. You. Yeah, I did. It's a cool was,
1: show. man. Yeah. We are really, really lucky, right? Like we, Roy and I, we kind of just like lucked into this. We, we just we just started doing it as something fun, just something we wanted to do in the first place. It's like, well, we already talked to people. Why don't we just record it? You know, yeah. what I mean? mm-hmm. and it and it it we're really surprised that we've gotten any interest or intrigue whatsoever. And and it's it's kind of a kind of a mind blower, frankly.
2: It's yeah. Kind of, well, you're you're talking more yeah. more advanced stuff that people like you know want to dig deep on. It's not the you know. I, I no offense to all the YouTubers out there and stuff, but like mm-hmm. the, the, the reptile tube kind of stuff is, you know, it's a little off putting to me I and mean, yes. maybe to yeah. a lot of people coming up, you know, mm-hmm. it's just so much drama. Like I've always, like, I hated the drama and everything. Like, and the, anytime there's drama, it's like, you know, even, even like, you know, some things are warranted maybe, but you know, it's like, these people that are keeping tons of reptiles and just for the, the YouTube and, you know, yeah. And it's just like, you know, now, especially with care with leopard geckos and stuff. I'm seeing a lot of that too. Now. Yeah. Some Mm -hmm. of it's corporate interests trying to push their products and siphon down to the, to the groups and stuff. And I'm seeing a lot of Mm -hmm. that info and, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's not like we didn't know what we were doing 10 years ago. to to completely, you know? Yeah. we figured it mm. out pretty well. Yeah. You, know, yeah, you guys are trying to reinvent the wheel, and it's like it's not, it's not. It's 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 just kind of discouraging in a little way. But mm. well, yeah, no, this kind of this 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 format's great. You know, you can talk about more cool stuff like HRV ventilation and
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <stuff laughs> like that. Got to go through thirty million mealworms. That's unbelievable. But yeah. yeah, dude, it's kind of cool. You know, I I feel like in some ways, um, it reminds me. I I say this way too much on the show, but it reminds me of jujitsu, right? Like every every, there goes in these cycles where every few decades or so people want to pretend like they've reinvented it and figured it all out. And well, now we have the real answers and we're doing things really, really differently. And yet, you find out you you actually spend a little time looking and it's like a lot of the people doing the best work are actually looking into the past, looking at what people have already done and looking at what mm-hmm. has already come and happened before. And it doesn't mean there's not new and interesting you know, things happening, but I think, you know, I just think a lot of it comes from just looking backwards a little bit. There were a lot of really mm-hmm. impressive, intelligent, capable people who came before us. And the idea that just because they didn't have some fancy ass LED UV light and the most naturalistic diet imaginable is were somehow not successful or not giving their animals a good life is that's just propaganda. You know, it's not real. Mm-hmm. It's not real yeah. at all.
2: So, well, those those guys had real experience and it wasn't just, yeah. you know, internet yeah. research, you know? So yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: They really had the hands-on experience. And right. That, that changes everything. Trust me.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. No, it really does. Um, yeah. Can't be bought. No, it can't. No, it really cannot. Uh, well, shit. Hey, that was freaking sweet. Um, I think yeah. we'll hit this
0: button and stop our recording real well, Yeah, quick. but before we do, work, oh. is the oh, website yeah. the best place for folks to find you or, or Instagram? Yeah, what's the best I, kind I, of I place? Mean,
2: I'm, I'm most at, well, I have the website. That's where I, I sell geckos from. And you can contact me from there or, you know, Facebook page or Instagram. I don't, I'm not really active okay. on YouTube anymore. So, yeah. don't. Okay try with that but you know instagram facebook or website it's cool sweet awesome. all right. that's all you gotta search on any of them
0: <laughs> awesome yep perfect all right well we'll have that in the show notes and um yeah this has been a, it's been awesome i hit the button Appreciate stop you. the recording